0: sherry are you excited about what are you excited about august 20th oh yes i know it's four days after your birthday so I know that right now you're excited about your birthday.
1: uh, No, I'm not excited about my birthday this year. You used to be the biggest birthday lover ever. I know, but I wasn't getting close to a monumental age that (laughs) (laughs) makes me no longer excited.
0: Oh, okay. But yes, I'm I'm excited about this. August 20th, our Sips and Giggles event. Here, right here on the southeast side of Denver at the Space Gallery Annex. We've got a live in-person comedian coming to our live and, and in-person she's event. So
1: clever and witty and
0: funny. Debbie, sheer she is hilarious. For anyone who who might have done the last event that we held, it was the last time it was virtual.
1: Right, but we did it from the Space annex.
0: We were at the Space yeah, annex. that's were. right. And Debbie was on the video broadcast, and she put a cat tunnel on her head <laughs> and then expanded it. I don't even remember what the joke was, but she was hilarious. Everybody loved her. She's a good friend, but she's also a professional stand-up comedian, and we're going to have her at our uh, Sober Evolution Sips and Giggles event on August 20th, 6 o'clock at night. We'll get started. We'll have appetizers. We're going to have some delicious, um, I, I like to call them adult alcohol-free Cocktails. I know that's a. You mouthful. don't like the word mock. I don't like the word mocktails.
1: Or just yeah, non-alcoholic beverages.
0: No, so adult alcohol-free mocktails. The headliner. There's gonna. We're gonna have a colada teeny, like a, a pina colada and martini mix. Ooh, that, one no that one was good. No alcohol. The colada is good. We're gonna have. We're well, we gonna the, do
1: the one with the tea and the mint. Yes, the and,
0: blueberry yes. mint nojito. Get yes. it mojito, but no hito. Yes,
1: and I don't like mojitos when even they were.
0: But you liked the blueberry mojito. I love that
1: one. Yeah, that one was good.
0: Well, good because you're bartending. So oh, good. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So if if you're able to check this out, if if you live in or around Denver, we know our audience doesn't necessarily, but for those of you who do, we'd love to have you join us. You can get more information and figure out how to get yourself registered for our event. We're gonna be very serious about masks and distancing. Mm -hmm. We're following all the COVID rules for Denver and Colorado. We're taking it seriously. We have a limit on the number of people that we can have in the building. We're going to have it on the rooftop deck, weather permitting. Hopefully we'll have a nice evening and then we can all be outside and and just keep everybody healthy. But for more information, go to our website, thestigma.org. And right at the top is a button that says, Tell me more about the Sober Evolution Sips and Giggles event. And you can get everything you need to know there. What was the word that I just said I didn't like?
1: Mocktails.
0: Mocktails. You know, there are a lot of words that I don't like. I'm kind of an opinionated ass, really, if you think about it. Well,
1: not so much an ass, but you are opinionated.
0: Words that I hate. That's kind of where I wanted to start and one of the words, <laughs> I know that's crazy words the, I hate, let title, me just take it hour the title of this episode is getting from here to there because I hate the word journey I like the band journey, I hate the word journey I didn't hate it before we started doing this for a living journey. but now that I live in the recovery world lots of self-help stuff uh, the word journey is overused. overused you know you're on this journey from alcoholism to sobriety. And so whenever I'm writing, whenever I come to a place where the word journey would fit perfectly. You pull I will, out your
1: thesaurus? and No,
0: I'll use like 10 or 12 words to describe what a journey <laughs> is. Any way to <laughs> avoid. Instead
1: of using one word to be efficient. Know, and make it easier to read.
0: The road to recovery. I hate that. The journey. I don't know why. But I, it's, it's not my favorite. And I was thinking about all the... You know, it all of us opinionated asses in their recovery community. We've all got a list of words that we don't like, and we've heard from readers and listeners too. Codependency is a hot button people don't like. I don't even like the word recovery. We've talked about this. I don't like the idea of going from, going back. Recovery says we're going to go back to where we were. But nobody wants to go back to where why would you want to go back to the place you were before you started drinking (laughs) that caused you to become an alcoholic drinker? You want to go to a better place. But I did
1: hear somebody describe what recovery meant. Okay. And you and I talked about this um, one time in a parenting conversation One of our kids was exposed to something very early, and I said it changes the way he was supposed to be at this point. Okay. Like that right there. So the word recovery was recovering you from the beginning to where you were really supposed to be, who you were meant to be. Okay. And having those obstacles in the way has changed who you were, so it's just getting you back to where you were supposed to be, that person you were meant to be, the person that you were born to. To be. Okay. And that's how they describe recovery. I'm still not a big fan of the word, but I felt like that was better. Yeah. Because I feel like in my recovery, I am working to this... I have kind of figured out this one trigger point for one of my issues. And I'm trying to get... Before that happened, it's not like I can erase the memory, but I can rewrite the story afterwards. Yeah. So it's getting... Back to who you were supposed to be.
0: I like the word recovery slightly, or I hate the word recovery slightly less than I hated it a few minutes ago. Yeah. That's a good explanation. It's still not my favorite, but it could be worse. But, yeah. but then, you know, then there's like falling off the wagon. Ugh, so gross. Such a gross way to describe someone who's...
1: It's kind of a cool story. Relapsing.
0: Yeah, but... I, like I your
1: pick, you know, like the whole story of how that happened, like that... I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, drunk falling off the wagon and then yeah, somebody and gives then, him a hand and yeah, pulls him back and you onto the get wagon. Get pulled
1: up and get back on and
0: But my all-time favorite word I hate in the recovery community is teetotaler. I mean, falling I, off the wagon and teetotal what? Like I mean, just this, tea, this, this you, just proves this just proves that alcoholism has been around since before the invention of the wheel because <laughs> what? Why? Uh, because
1: the wagon. <laughs>
0: well, think about it. The first use of the wheel wasn't a car. We didn't have motors yet. They invented well, the wheel, yeah. and they're like, "Well, look, we can put stuff on a on a platform and <coughs> drag it using this wheel thing." Do you that's they spoke how long like that, alcoholism has that... been, been been around since.
1: Well, have you looked up what teetotaler meant? Because you used that word like years ago, and you're like, "I don't want to be a teetotaler," and I was like, "I've never heard that word in my entire life." Really. Until you said it like
0: oh, no, ten it's, it's a thing. years ago, I, I know, but where's
1: does it mean? Like where'd it come from?
0: You 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 drink non-alcoholic beverages. Yeah. You total around your tea. You're drinking tea instead of I, you total alcohol.
1: around like you carry around your tea. Yeah, instead it's of.
0: it's old English. It, the okay. word is so old. It's from the invention of the wheel. Time. Oh my gosh! When alcoholism I mean, I started, I hope
1: anybody listening wants to email Matt like this. <laughs> Origin of the word, word
0: Old world. Old word. Ugh. I don't like it. But so the point is the journey or the getting from here to there, you've got a starting point and an end point. And I've thought about this. When it comes to whether it's your personal sobriety, you are the alcoholic and you need to get clean, or it's the relationship that needs the repairing, the, the sobriety has taken place, but the relationship is still a mess. And we need to get you from here to there. From here to there, the starting point. You know what? What do you want? What do you want to accomplish before you take off on this journey? Well, you, I heard you, you want. Liz, it's
1: not about the destination. It's about the journey. Does that make you aggravated when it's?
0: That's not my favorite saying, but I I love the content of the saying. I just mm-hmm. those words are like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. But that's okay. So the starting point, we want a better relationship, right? And the end point is, we get a better relationship, hopefully. And But all the work, that, I mean, I, my, I'm i looking at my notes that I wrote for this discussion, and I wrote, the journey's a bitch. The journey's hard. journey sucks. Getting from I want a better relationship to I've got a better relationship. I suppose this doesn't necessarily even need to repeat apply directly to alcoholic relationships. This can be any kind of relationship that's gone off the rails. But I want a better relationship and getting to that better relationship is very difficult. For the purpose of this discussion I do think it's important that we recognize that the things that we're going to talk about here today, um, sobriety is a prerequisite for this. So there definitely, we've spent a lot of time working with people on that are in active alcoholic relationships so in other words their their loved one in most cases their spouse is still drinking and they can still work on their own personal recovery they can still work toward health setting boundaries learning about and moving away from codependency there are lots of things that can be done to make it a healthier situation for yourself even if you're in a situation where the drinker is still drinking But what we're talking about here today, when we talk about this journey from the starting point to the end point, the sobriety has already taken place. You can be in very early sobriety, but sobriety is a prerequisite. Now, as you and I both know, and many, many people that we've worked with and talked to know, sobriety doesn't fix anything. You and I totally, well, I shouldn't say you and I, I totally thought sobriety was going to fix everything. I thought that that was the solution to all of our marital problems. You were a bit smarter. You knew, you knew that there was a lot more crap underlying and that the sobriety wasn't. The alcohol. active alcoholism might have caused most or all of the problems, but the sobriety wasn't going to fix most or all of the problems. Mm-hmm. I imagine we've got a lot of listeners who feel that same way. But so for the purpose of this discussion, we've got to look at sobriety as a prerequisite and assume that we're in the, at least the earliest stages of sobriety before we can, you know, kind of move forward. We recently had someone tell us, and I, it was a conversation we were having and I wrote it down as fast as I could. I think I got the quote right. Recovery is scarier than addiction, this person said. And because we know the context of the rest of the conversation, what she was basically saying is, she knew the devil that she was living with that was the alcoholic all of a sudden the alcohol went away sobriety not only didn't fix anything it made things worse because now this wounded animal of an ex-active alcoholic who was in early sobriety was more present was more a part of the family had opinions about things Was participating in the day-to-day activities and inserting himself in places where he had never inserted himself before. And there was a lot of butting heads. Contradictory ideas about the way things should be done. And that's something that you and I totally experienced. Yeah. Do you remember? I remember
1: that conversation and I thought one of the most fascinating pieces too was um, the comment about what what was scary too was what was expected of her to change because he was no longer drinking and he probably had things that he was bothered by about her behavior and things. And so what what was going to be, what was she going to have to work on and change because it's something that was important to him.
0: Did you feel that way when I got
1: sober? Uh, I mean, I... I definitely feel like I was very much aware that there were things that I needed to work on and change about myself. And I feel like the longer we've gone in to you not drinking and some of those things not changing, they have become more and more like hurtful to you that I haven't changed about those sort of things, you know?
0: Are you talking about like, a, like you've needed to prioritize your recovery and really take it seriously and and for yeah. a, for a, for a, the beginning part of my sobriety, you didn't do that,
1: right? Right. You know, and it's just like things. You know, it wasn't because I did, I just didn't know, and my head was in the sand, and um, so there were some aspects that I really need to need to work on and get them figured out. Can you think of an example
0: was, to make it a little more? concrete?
1: Um, I feel like the, um, like the, the sexual connection that we have, you want to be, like, more intimate and you want me to be excited about it.
0: Whereas when I was drinking, all I cared about was
1: was, getting
0: mine and getting out, and i i had yeah. no concept of your right. emotional connection or disconnection. Right.
1: And so then we have to kind of, I have to work back through that. And it's not like it's getting, I mean, it's getting better and it's just, it's taking a lot longer, I think, than what you, being a fairly impatient person at times, would like for it to be because I feel like it's something that I have to unravel from way back early on.
0: Well, or, I think, I think you're making great progress and... I know it's, it's an issue that I didn't even realize existed at the beginning of sobriety and to have, you know, just like our, the conversation we had, the person said recovery is scarier than addiction. Holy cow. That was a really scary thing to realize how messed up our intimate relationship was. But to have, now that we're moving forward again, mm-hmm. making progress, even though we're a long way from solved.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and you know, it's not an easy subject to talk about and deal with, especially oh, really? if you have a lot of discomfort about it.
0: Really, I couldn't tell when, when I put you on the spot asking that question, and since this is radio instead of TV, I will tell, as you said, I think you said the word sexual dysfunction, you were giving me double barrels <laughs> from over there about your opinion of the fact that I asked you that question, and that was the thing that you thought of.
1: yes. We should really. We should really
0: videotape these conversations sometimes.
1: Well, I just don't like talking about it. But I don't blame you. It's but I easy. think that it was it was hard to also like kind of go back through some things that led me up to having this. Um, I think that it's called transgenerational messaging. Ooh. Is what somebody's the, in therapy? <laughs> is what the term is.
0: Tell us more about that.
1: Well, just so there were some incidences that in my earlier developmental stages that led me to believe that, um, men are not, um, a safe sort of environment. My father was an alcoholic, my parents were divorced, but I still saw lots of times, you know, where he didn't seem to be a very safe place. Um, you know, I only got... Your father, that is. Yeah, my father, and, um... And it was also like amplified, um, just by some other instances throughout. Well, one of my one of those adolescence.
0: Is, yeah, one of those is your mother got remarried and then got divorced again. So you you got this picture of twice you know yeah. men have hurt your mother. Yeah, and that's yeah. got to stick with you,
1: right? And then my sister, you know, she had a a relationship in high school that you know I remember my mom saying, you know, she just really didn't, I know this is terrible, but she didn't really want, my mom did not want my sister to marry her high school sweetheart because she just knew and she could see signs that it was going to be bad and that he was not treating her the way that my mom would want her daughter to be treated in a relationship. And so, you know, and I was, I was a lot younger than my sister, so behind closed doors. So there was like this, also this whispering stuff about things that men did and, you know, like kind of. Just didn't make me feel very comfortable around them. So then I definitely felt like, oh, well, it's just they're not to be trusted and trustworthy and to always be dependent upon them.
0: So part of the process of your recovery from my alcoholism even goes, and I I don't think you're unique by any means, it goes much deeper than just the things that we experienced. It goes back into this, you called it transgenerational messaging. Messaging. You had already before you met and married an alcoholic, you already had this impression of men not being a safe space, mm-hmm. which I think many, many, many women have had that message delivered to them early and often for various reasons, either stuff with their fathers or or other men in their lives. And all I did was validate that that fear that you had in men. Mm hmm. And so here we are, I'm sober now, you know, all, all of my drinking made you say, yep, I knew I was right, men are problems, and then I get sober and I'm, I'm involved and I want to participate and I, I've got thoughts about the way things should be done and I've got questions, so, yes. oh, so many questions Well, you are very
1: you. questioning, kind of, I need to be in the know kind of person. Yeah. So... That is somewhat annoying to me, because I feel like I'm not that way in a lot of things, but I feel like when I do ask, then you're like, what, you don't trust me? Like, you don't, you don't, just, you know, so I feel like it's this, um, what was my favorite line to use back in the day? It was like, it was unbalanced, um. Unfair? Uh, and yeah, I can't think of it, but, you know... Double standard.
0: Double standard. Double there was standard. A double standard. So
1: every time I felt like you asked me questions, I was like, oh, well, here's the double standard. He can ask me all the questions in the world. And then if I would talk to you, like, even when you were drinking, you know, you wouldn't be drunk at that moment. But during your drinking days, and you'd be sober. You're like, I've got it. i got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And it just wouldn't be bad alcohol. But just, yeah. Like, like my questions and... And my need to know—I was on a need to know basis. Yeah. And here thou, you're sober and you're asking because you want to be involved and understand. Yeah. What's going on? And you want to know, start to know me. And so I think by asking questions is a way to have me open up and and you know what I'm thinking. Um, it wasn't just a double standard, or it wasn't that you just were trying to set me up to say, "Oh, that's a really lousy thing to think or do." Or but you
0: thought it. that's what I was doing. But I did, yeah. I'm really curious of your opinion. Yeah, I'm really curious of your opinion. So you carried into the relationship this opinion that men aren't all that trustworthy or safe. And then I'm a heavy drinker and I'm getting drunk and doing stupid stuff, which is just validating your opinion. When I got sober... I know one of the things that I felt I felt like and I and until honestly we're having this conversation right now on this recording I had never really fully processed it but I had this feeling that as much as you wanted me to get sober as much as you begged for me to get sober you didn't like the fact that your 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 bad guy was kind of gone it used to be easy to blame to blame the alcoholism and to blame me for a lot of things. And I think, I, I, don't, I don't mean for this to make, make it sound like you had any kind of superiority complex because I don't believe that that was the case at all. But I think that was part of you that was comfortable with having someone around who messed up a lot because that you had grown up with this impression that that's what men do. And then I'm far from perfect now, but I don't mess up nearly as much as I did when I was drinking. I think there was an adjustment there for you to get used to. Okay, he's not a slob that I am disgusted by quite as much anymore, and I've got to get used to that.
1: I know that you say that you you made a comment like that. You're just now thinking about it, but we have had this discussion before several times, um, and I well, don't fill
0: feel... me in because I don't <laughs> seem to remember it.
1: Because you'll say, well, I think now there's just not the alcohol and me to blame. So now you're mad because you don't have the alcohol or me to blame for that. And I don't feel like I ever felt like I needed the alcohol and you to blame. I just had a very large misrepresentation of who you actually are because I really didn't know who you really were.
0: Okay. So I
1: feel like it wasn't that I was missing my bad guy and I was missing the alcohol to blame to shove away my problems. It was like... I don't know who you are, and I don't know what your motives are. I don't know what your intentions are.
0: So you don't know what my so, motives or intentions are. That's a skept- pretty skeptical view, which is in line with your your belief that transgenerational right. messaging of because, I sh- shouldn't trust men. Right, I don't and know I feel what like- this guy wants.
1: Well, that's, well, because that's what it was. It wasn't that I wanted to have you be drinking so that I could have this, you would be the fall guy for all the problems, because I was the one, it's been almost nine years ago to the very weekend where I remember we went away for my birthday, and you were like talking about it was just alcohol, and I like said, you have no idea the problems that are hiding behind the alcohol. We have so many more, because I knew that I was so conflicted by the way I felt about you by that point. Right. Um, And so I knew there were more problems. And I knew that I carried in a bunch of baggage to the relationship. That I really don't even know how to, like, figure out. Like, you know, I just feel like I'm just now working on myself in a more serious capacity that I feel like I can even explain and understand.
0: Well, so it
1: wasn't that you were the bad guy and you were drinking and I had somebody to blame. Because I also knew that I had a bad temper, and I couldn't put up with your shit sometimes, and I would scream and yell and throw... I remember one time I dumped over your plate of spaghetti in your lap, and...
0: I don't remember that. I wonder if I was drunk.
1: You had been drinking, and... But I was, like, but you laughed, and I laughed, but I was still so mad, like... So, I mean, I knew that I had, like, all of my other problems, so I didn't, I knew that it wasn't just you and drinking, but I didn't know you, because we met, and you were, every time we hung out, we got drunk Yeah. when we first met. So, I felt like you had, the, you were getting this education, you had this job right out of college, you were going to be somebody that would be a good provider, and and you always made me laugh, and you were, you know, you had a lot of really great attributes, but I didn't know deep down who you were because you were still so clouded with alcohol, and I didn't know who you'd become.
0: Okay. Calm. So I, I see, I hear that what you're rejecting is the idea that you missed having this evil bad guy in your life that you could blame everything on. Yeah, you're, you're i You're rejecting that. Yeah. But you, but you do say you didn't know, you didn't know who I was,
1: and I didn't trust who I.
0: And you didn't trust. Right. Well, you didn't so, trust listen, me partially because you didn't know me, but you also didn't trust me partially because I was a man, and you had been taught not to trust men. Right. Do you think that's fair?
1: Right. Even, at, And I think I told you one time, you could be like everything I think that I want in a man, and you still wouldn't make me happy because I wasn't happy.
0: Right. Well, this goes back to... So
1: it's not like I wanted to have a fall guy.
0: But But this goes back to the recovery is scarier than addiction. When I was drinking okay maybe I'm not the fall guy maybe I'm not to blame for everything maybe I'm not the evil bad guy I think is what you said but still if you looked at the calamity that our life had become you could say oh I'm married to an alcoholic but when you're married when I'm sober and things are getting better and I'm getting you know it took some time but getting some more emotional maturity and learning how to handle life as an adult unintoxicated you you know you might not be looking f- looking for the bad guy but you 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 didn't immediately trust me you didn't immediately you know feel confidence in the things i was saying so i yeah, mean there was still I this think, unknown right this distrust right. and unknown
1: well and also because you would have been very good about manipulating the situation when you were drinking to make it benefit you yeah And you would often say in your moments of sobriety or during an argument when you were drunk, you would always say, I put you and the kids first. And I was like, No, you don't. (laughs) You know, so there was a lot of manipulation and, and like talking out of both sides of your mouth. Like, because your actions weren't representing putting us first. Yeah. Putting your family first. So it was really hard to just openly accept. And maybe if I hadn't had you know, the past my my upbringing about the divorce and not trusting men, it would be easier to come away in that part of the relationship or if I had been working on myself and like, you know, thinking of being a, married to an alcoholic and getting help then I wouldn't have been so mistrusting and I also, I just didn't trust how I was going to behave around you yeah because I didn't know how to behave in a quote-unquote normal relationship.
0: Yeah. No, I understand. I want to talk a little bit about instincts. And I know this is a, this is a topic that I bring up a lot. It's, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. But when we talk about having a starting point of wanting a better relationship and trying to get to an end point of having that better relationship and when we say things like the journey's a bitch and recovery is scarier than addiction we, making that journey we really really need to trust our instincts and you know I'm a firm believer that when alcohol is a big part of our lives like in my case in the, in the, in the case of the alcoholic we just can't hear our instincts we have no idea what our instincts are really telling us to do and when you live with an alcoholic who's constantly gaslighting you and telling you that I'm not the one with the drinking problem, you're the one with the drinking problem. You need to relax and unwind and realize that everyone drinks and it's no big deal and your, your hatred of my drinking is the problem. My drinking isn't a problem at all. When you hear that over and over, that just pummels your instincts. Those insecurities, the insecurities of is what I believe really true is am I smart? This person's making me feel like everything I'm saying is wrong and that I'm 100% of the problem. That drowns out your instincts too. And we really, really, really do need a boost to our instincts so that we can believe them and trust and make this journey and move from the start point to the goal end point. And I I this is I'm going to go out there. I'm this is something I've thought about for a long time now, but I've never said it out loud in public like this. I've talked to you about it, Sherry. But I'm a big believer that our instincts, what our gut is telling us to do is like communication from God or the universe, whatever it is you believe. In my case, I I believe in God and I believe when I pray and ask for guidance, the instincts, the gut reaction, that the gut motivation, what what I'm feeling driven to do is that's the answer to my prayers. I I don't believe, you know, that any higher power is actually gonna talk to me using the English language and my ears as receptors, but I believe that well, you know, the moves that I make throughout the world, if I'm being true to myself. And, you know, you also got to have some principles there, right? I'm going to be loving and I'm going to be kind and I'm not going to hurt other people. And I'm going to try to do things for the betterment, you know, of others. Be in service. That's another, that's a big topic these days, you know, being in, of service to others. But if I do all that, then my instincts will be pure and that they are actually messages for, for me to follow. Does that make any sense? What do you think when yeah, I say that? I, think that makes I mean, sense you've heard me say you. it before.
1: Yeah, I think that. I don't know. I, I definitely learned not to trust my instincts. Um, in a lot of ways, because I feel like I didn't. I feel like my instincts. Okay, so I feel like my instincts that I grew up with, not to fully trust men, not to totally rely on somebody else, not to depend on somebody else. I mean like having that sort of relationship it sounds a little codependent, but if it's a two way street, you know, it seems a little bit more less codependent. To have
0: a relationship where you do trust? Yeah. yeah. So
1: having that so I feel like codependency's
0: that's, not, not all I know bad. It's,
1: right. So okay. what I'm saying, like so Am I having, like when you talk about instincts? Well, my instinct is not to trust you. My instinct is like, what are you going for? Why are you trying to manipulate me? I mean, we had just another podcast where we talked about like one day you would think about one thing where it was all my problem with drinking, and then the next day it'd be like, no, it's my problem with drinking. And then the third day you're like, okay, so I've got this problem with drinking, and now I'm going to come up with this plan. My instinct was like, oh my gosh, he is setting me up. It's all been this plot. So my instinct was not to trust. So I don't feel like like those are good instincts because now I'm supposed to, like, trust
0: you. But that all... So those
1: are not instincts. Those are just guttural
0: reactions. But that all So came,
1: deciphering between the two is a lot harder, I think, than what one might think. It's
0: not easy. But that all, what you just described, came from the transgenerational messaging, the things that happened to you as a child that taught you not to trust men
1: right but then like unless you're going through the process I won't say the journey (laughs) then you can't really break it down and if you aren't willing to like look at it and break it down then you don't understand that there's a difference between reactivity and instinctual behaviors
0: well I think that's the point we can't follow our instincts we can't follow the messaging from the universe until we Get the insecurities out of the way. I think, I think what's, what's dominating you, you is this insecurity about not trusting men and and men aren't, you know, men well, are bad. Well,
1: it's also not trusting, fully trusting anybody, um, but men particularly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. But we so we've got to clean just like just like sobriety is a prerequisite. For relationship recovery. Cleaning out. These insecurities. That are blocking you. I I believe. That when you describe that situation. It's hard for you to follow your instincts. Because it's hard for you to hear your instincts. I believe that there's insecurity. That's kind of like a barrier to that. And you're working on it. So that's great I don't mean for this to be a criticism I'm not trying to lump all our problems on you that's the last thing I want to do but I think if if we don't just like I had to get alcohol out of our lives for me to be able to hear the messaging I think you've got to get this general you know f- pattern for your entire life relationship with what you think of men I think you've got to get that addressed and you're addressing it yeah. you're doing it does it does does it feel to you like like th- these insecurities these bad feelings are are repairable like it's 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 going to get better whether whether it was stuff that you received as a child or messaging you received from me during my active addiction where you said god this guy's no good and i'm stuck to him does it does it feel like you're making progress and getting away from those feelings?
1: Yeah, I feel like I am making progress. Um, I feel like it's a hard fight to feel like and understand the difference between a reaction because you're, you're talking about guttural reactions being instinctual, but my instincts are not are not necessarily the good things that I should be thinking about like all the time. Yeah. Like, they're negative messaging or something. Well, so, they're,
0: they're blocked. They're blocked by this insecurity. You're rolling your eyes at me. I,
1: I'm not rolling my eyes at you. I'm just saying, like, it's just... I'm getting just, a
0: little in the weeds and a little, I don't know, foo-foo-y. Yeah, like, when you
1: say blocked, like, I feel like, you know, it's like you can't go down that road. But you have to break through the barriers. You have to, like, kind of go back to the beginning And work from the beginning forward to get rid of and untangle all of that.
0: Absolutely. So. That's the only way. So
1: I know that. The the only way to fix
0: your relationship, your internal relationship with how you think about men is to go back to the beginning and understand why these inputs in your life caused you the distress that they did. And work through it, right?
1: Right. And then we've talked about, but doesn't that seem like for us in our, in my journey sorry to use that word in my journey right now like we've talked about well doesn't that seem like such busy work and why can't you just move forward to the trusting stage you make a conscious decision to walk through and make this conscious decision to trust me
0: because you gotta pour the foundation before you can build the house right
1: I don't know what you mean and how that works like
0: you got to take care of the...
1: The beginning stuff? Yeah. And that's where I... Yeah, but... When we were talking, you're like, sounds like that would be a lot of busy work when you would just need to get rid of this block and just make the conscious choice to trust me.
0: Well, that sounds a lot like saying to an alcoholic, you just need to stop drinking. Why can't you just stop drinking? Why isn't it just that simple? And so... When I have said to you, which I fully acknowledge, when I have said to you, oh, you just need to stop having this block and you need to just trust me, that's like just telling an alcoholic to stop drinking. It's not not that easy. There's underlying shit that needs to be cleaned up. So when I've said that to you, just trust me. Look, I'm not the person I used to be. That is naive and that is not taking fully into account not only the damage that my drinking did in our relationship and my and also my immaturity when we were 20 and you know it wasn't all drinking's fault I was also an arrogant 22 year old but also taking into account the damage that was done when you were taught repeatedly over and over not to trust men growing up and in your teen years and in your you know your early twenty years by men other than me. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's kind of honestly, that's kind of asinine for me to have said. You just need to trust me. You just need to find a way to,
1: to break through that barrier. Ignore, that mental block ignore
0: the mental block.
1: Make that yeah.
0: Because those are those are your insecurities that are blocking your instincts, and you need to work through those. Just like in our relationship, we had to work slowly through the resentment before, you know, before we could go anywhere else. You have to do that on your personal side too. And that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm surprising you a little bit by acknowledging and agreeing with it. Yeah. Because I have so often been impatient and said, come on, Sherry, just stop drinking. Or the equivalent for you, which is, come on, Sherry, just trust me. And I think this is a huge factor in relationships that are on this... This journey between the starting point of we want a better relationship and the end point of we've got a better relationship, they get stuck with doing the work in that they don't even understand what the work is. And then once they figure it out, it's tedious and hard. And it seems like it should be so much easier. You should just be able to say, uh, just think the way you need to think. Just take your brain and tell it to behave differently. And when you've been through an alcoholic relationship as the loved one or when you've been through childhood trauma or just childhood messaging, it's you just can't just turn on a dime and change the way you think. Okay. So this is why. What did you tell me? You told me a statistic the other day. And you know we're not super firm on the origin or the veracity of it but we think i think i'll just say single digits you you told me that you heard from a person in the medical field mm-hmm. in the psychological field that relationships that survive not addiction that's a different thing but recovery from addiction relationships that survive recovery from addiction it's a really low percentage of success.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, what did you say? You found some number that was like
0: 10% or something? Uh, well, I've year. never actually, because I needed it for the book that we just finished writing. I needed a, a number and I couldn't actually find one. I found a University of Michigan study that studied the effect of addiction on marriage, mm-hmm. but they didn't differentiate between active addiction and people that were in recovery and both were represented in the study but they for whatever reason didn't say oh the people where the alcoholism is active in the relationship divorce at this rate and the people who have moved past the active addiction and they're in sobriety divorce at this rate which to me that's the that's the thing they should have been measuring and certainly it should have been a subset of their, their full study but they didn't so I've looked and I've never been able to find. But but you heard from somebody that it was like a single digit. Percentage, and, yeah. And, and, that's, and that was
1: based on kind of what was going around in the field of marital counseling and therapy around addiction and recovery. and So this is a person parts. who's in it. Yeah, the we, person we who's in it. We
0: can't verify that the number is 7% or 9% or 6%. But... It was a feeling of someone who's in it. His feeling,
1: yeah. His feeling was that it's around five, four to five percent, which is which survive going through the addiction and the recovery and the main, the you know.
0: And that's the whole purpose of this podcast and the purpose of this discussion to acknowledge that it isn't easy. To acknowledge that you know I I don't want to be Debbie Downer over here to acknowledge that not many couples make it, but to provide our experience in navigating how difficult it is and also acknowledging, you know, for those of you that are in it and are trying, that we know how hard it is. Like, don't, I mean, we get on here sometimes and we talk about how things are better and then we tell jokes and we laugh and, you know, it, I don't know. I try not to, I, we try to strike a balance between. We don't want this to be a really depressing podcast, but we also don't want to make it sound like this is all roses and rainbows. It's not easy, so
1: we're trying to be real life. Because we're trying to be real life, you know, and
0: real life is five percent in this in this one medical professional's <laughs> opinion, yeah. as far as but, um, recovery. You know, from every day isn't recovery. horrible
1: and every day isn't great, and that's real life in any marriage, and especially with a a marriage in recovery or addiction. So. You have to kind of celebrate the the good times, and that's right. Hunker through the bad times.
0: When it comes to to trying to improve your odds um, and and make it in this very difficult journey <laughs> journey from start point to end point, this is why we created the Echoes of Recovery Group, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch that for a second the echoes of recovery group is for loved ones of alcoholics not just spouses but parents of alcoholics children of alcoholics cousins uncles anyone who has an alcoholic that has had a significant impact on their lives and it's all about connection and telling stories and helping each other set boundaries and discussing what's working and what's not working but most of all our echoes of recovery program is about providing a boost of support to our instincts. We have people in the group, Sherry, all the time that say, This is this is the boundary that I'm gonna set. This my instincts tell me that this is what I need to do with my alcoholic loved one that's in early recovery or or that hasn't stopped drinking yet. And when they share that with this group, they get real, honest, you know, unfiltered feedback on. You're, this is what I think of your instinct to do that and this this group is not about husband bashing, it's not about you know, just woe is me, let's talk about how horrible our lives are, it's about solutions and when people come to the group and say this is what I want to do, they're going to hear real feedback and 90 9% of the time the feedback is your instincts are pure, go get them tiger and we're here to support you. And then that person goes back to the relationship and puts this practice into play that they talked about and they've got it with the knowledge that there's a whole army of people behind them that agree mm-hmm. that the idea that they, they're trying to carry out is, is, is a good one. And when it comes to balancing our instincts versus our insecurities Again, back to our real life example, you know your your instincts sometimes sherry, are drowned out by those insecurities about your feelings about men not being safe. Um, we need support. we need a boost from from people that are there that have understand and have been with it been through it with us. So if you'd like more information, check us out at echoesofrecovery.com e c h o e s of recovery.com um, we do i do want to mention we we are a 501c3 nonprofit we do require a $25 per month recurring donation from participants in echoes of recovery but if you think we're getting rich from $25 a month from people we're not that is mo- much much more about accountability and You know, people being part of this solution, being part of having some skin in the game. You know, if if this was really a for-profit business, that'd be a couple hundred bucks a month. But that's not what this is about. This is just about you participating at this, What you know, what you and I firmly believe is a really reasonable level so that you've got incentive to participate. You've got incentive to be on the calls. You've got incentive to do the writing. You've got incentive to communicate and support each other. And that's what that twenty five bucks is all about. It's not it's certainly not making us rich. It's right. and uh it's more about it's more about you than it is about us. Mm-hmm. I cut you off what were you saying?
1: Always oh, to say and then just to kinda help fund some future um projects that we would like to do. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Often we only are able to receive the love from others that we think we deserve and conversely we are able to accept the negativity from others that we also put on ourselves so these are limitations only being able to accept the love from others that we think we deserve after we've beaten ourselves up and and you know knocked ourselves down for Years and years on our way to adulthood, and through or through adulthood, those are those are forms of insecurity. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. So. So this is another area where the instincts need need some support so that they can win out. We need to understand that we are good people, just trying to do our best to get through, and. When we receive compliments, support, love from others, we need to embrace that and let it make us stronger. We need to open up our potential for the amount of love that we're able to accept. And conversely, we need to not take the shit from others that we give to ourselves. Humans are so good at self-loathing and beating ourselves down. And then when we let other people do it to us as well, it's really it's really painful it's really that this is just where all the insecurities live and we need to do our best to get away from it and it's not an easy lesson you Sherry I think I mean you've talked about this you you have a tendency to um reject compliments um and and not um Let others give you the credit that you deserve because of just kind of a uh, what's uh, negative talk? Is that is that the the way you would describe that?
1: That compliments are negative talk.
0: No, your inability to receive compliments and
1: oh, I find I think that compliments are loaded. I think that there's some suspicion, and I wonder what the one the compliment is oh well, this is really nice but you need to do this what, or, a, what am i trying to get what out of the is this compliment? person sucking up to me for yeah. like compliments are not just things or or and then that, that the in. other thing about the insecurity is that thing that you're complimenting me on is like such an easy thing and so why would you compliment somebody on that like it like that's nothing
0: is this tied into your belief that men are not to be trusted? Like is it is it more do you feel that way more when I compliment you or do you feel that way when anyone compliments I feel that
1: you? way when anyone compliments me.
0: You're just wondering what they're trying to get out of you.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's a multitude, like I said, those things like, oh, they're just, you know, gonna say, oh that was really good, but this is gonna be better. Or they You know, just feel the need to compliment me on something that's very simple to do. It's
0: so interesting because compliments are designed by the complimentor to build you up. Right. But then you take it and say, what's this person trying to get out of me? Mm -hmm. And kind of twist it into a negative.
1: Yeah, that's just my suspicion of other people.
0: Yeah. But it doesn't leave room for you to receive all the love that's being thrown your way. Right. Because I guess
1: I don't feel worthy
0: of that. Very, very, very typical in a relationship that has suffered from alcoholism. Because you've had years of being told, you're the one with the drinking problem. All this is your fault. You're wrong. I should be able to drink every whenever I want. Your perspective is the problem. And after years and years of being told that, you start to believe some of that. And so going from that negative talk from me to you to having negative self-talk that's a pretty easy easy step to make, right?
1: Yeah, and like I said, like sometimes when there are compliments I I look at like whatever I was doing was not much. Yeah. Or it was easy or it was very little work and effort on my part. So why would you compliment me on something that Really didn't take that much, but that I have to also understand, and I know that I give out compliments and I think more of people than probably what they think about themselves. So I'm beginning to understand that what might seem easy and nothing to me, but just the fact that I thought about it. like I have a friend who's who I haven't seen personally in a while, mm-hmm. um, partly due to because of the shelter in place, but also they live further away. But she's really good about just kind of a surprise text every now and then. My birthday's coming up. I know I'm going to get a text from her because she hasn't forgotten my birthday since the first year I met her.
0: Yeah. I you know? know who you're talking about. And She remembers my birthday too.
1: And it's just it's just amazing because I'm really bad at that.
0: Yeah, me too
1: but that's just her gift. So we all have different gifts. So
0: You're going to have to text her and ask when your birthday is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I have I'm not marked, that bad. I think I have it marked on the calendar.
0: I'm not. Bad.
1: Um, but I just think like so I'm I'm trying to start opening myself to say everybody has their own different gifts and and things that they do well. And so when you compliment somebody on something that would not would not be an easy thing for you to do, then I see the generosity behind it because I'm so appreciative of those people that can do these things like that or like people that are intuitive and ask questions during a conversation I just listen to it, absorb it and then I, you know, two days later think oh, I should have asked this or I should have asked that or oh, I wonder about that so I'm trying to be more accepting of compliments and just say thank you
0: Yeah,
1: I'm even trying to stop saying it was nothing or it's no big deal, I just end it with thank you. Yeah. And I usually have a bitter taste in my mouth when I'm saying thank you. Really? Because it's so hard for me to...
0: You know what that just... bitter taste is? It's progress. <laughs> You're making progress. It almost
1: makes me throw up just saying thank you. Yeah.
0: You're making progress. And I mean, that's that's the point. That's the point to get from the starting point to the end point so much goes into that and if it was easy the success rate wouldn't be 5% but so I'm glad that we talked about some topics with a little different slant than we've ever talked about them before and hopefully there are people out there in our listening audience that say yes I know what Sherry's talking about because they always do I mean you so many people have walked in your exact same shoes or are walking in your exact same shoes and the feedback that we always get is, you know, God, I feel exactly like Sherry. So I feel like we we kind of went a little deeper, explored some things that we haven't in the past and I'm hope, hopeful that um, that that we've still got some people that feel the way you do and that they understand how hard the work is but that the work is both necessary and doable and that's exactly what you're in the middle of doing, right Sherry? Yep. Transgenerational messaging.
1: And it can account for a lot of things.
0: And it's not unique to you. If it was unique to you they wouldn't have had a name for it when you first described
1: it. Yeah, like I when I first heard about it, I did lots of little YouTube researches and there's lots of stuff on YouTube about it. And the guy who formed it there you go Mm -hmm. put the idea in places back in the 40s so
0: excellent well thanks for talking to us about it today thanks for being open I, I know that you know there are topics that make you a little cringy and I just for one I really appreciate your open honesty and I know that our listeners do too and if you appreciate conversations like this, if this is helping and you want to be a part of this silver evolution, if you want to be a part of destigmatizing alcoholism and alcoholism recovery, we would love your support at our fully tax-deductible 501c3 nonprofit The Stigma. And you can make a financial donation at thestigma.org backslash donate. For my wife, Sherry Salis, my name is Matt Salis, and we thank you for listening to another episode of the Untoxicated Podcast.